James has always been one of my favorite books in all the Bible. There's a lot of reasons really, but primarily I think it's because James's style of writing is just so practical and clear. He writes clearly, he doesn't use a lot of big words and he makes his point. I also think it's really cool that from a historical perspective, uh, James wrote this letter somewhere, scholars believe, from 12 to 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Also, just the fact that he was one of Jesus' younger brothers stands out as a, uh, a value that he's got a perspective and a point of view that a lot of other people didn't have. I mean, he grew up in the same house with Jesus, witnessing the things that Jesus said and did. That had to have given him a unique perspective. I don't know how many of you have older brothers, but if you do, let me just ask you, what would it take for your older brother to convince you that he was the Messiah? I mean, that's what we're talking about with James, right? He must have seen things and experienced things that Jesus did that convinced him without a doubt that Jesus was who he said he was and that he came and did exactly what he said he was gonna do. Chapter two, which we're gonna dig into a little bit today. Uh, James talks about two main ideas or issues. One is favoritism and the other is faith or what James calls real faith. We have a, a real big problem in our country today. It's, it's a tragic reality really and it's this issue of favoritism. It's a problem that's been around since the beginning of time. I mean favoritism and partiality, treating somebody differently based on your preferences or what you like or what they look like. James talks about this in the first part of the chapter, and he actually, the words that he used in the original Greek are two words for, for favoritism that mean face receiving. It means making a judgment about somebody based on the way that they look. And James says this is absolutely not the way that you should treat people. We tend to show favoritism to people who are like us who are similar to us, who like the same things that we do or hang out in the same places that we do. And then the people that are different from us, that look different or act different from us, we tend to neglect them, especially if they can't do anything for us. James makes this point clear when he says, as an example, suppose a rich man comes in to your meeting, talking about church or maybe your home group, and he's got a gold ring on, which is a symbol of status and power, and he's got really nice clothes, and you give him a really nice seat next to you. But then another guy comes in, and he doesn't have a whole lot. He maybe he looks homeless or he looks poor. And you make him sit on the floor or at your feet or somewhere else. James says if you make that judgment just based on the way they look, that you're committing a sin, the sin of favoritism. James says clearly that it's wrong to view rich people one way and poor people another way. James says to treat people differently based on their appearance is a sin. And it's the exact opposite of the type of love that Jesus taught about. So what's the antidote to this problem of favoritism? What's the solution to prejudice and showing partiality? What if I told you it may be as simple as treating other people the way that you want to be treated? I mean, Jesus lays this out in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 12. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus says that everything that's in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then 21 prophets, 26 books altogether in the Old Testament can be summed up in treating other people the way you want to be treated. See. Even our 
elementary kids know this. This is one of their basic truths that we teach them. God wants us to see the value of a human based on the content of their soul, not in how much money they make or not in the clothes that they wear or, or what they look like. This is not a new concept. I mean, whether you grew up in church or not, you've been taught some form of this, mutual respect, right? Treating other people the way you want to be treated. We call it the golden rule. Even our littlest kids that we teach in, in, at Cedar Creek and we worship, our preschoolers, they have a basic truth that says God made me. And, and the idea goes along with treating other people the way they want to be treated because if we believe that God has made each of us in his image, well, then we're all worthy of value and respect and equality and love. Listen, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, where you've been, you are made in the image of God. And that's the heart of what James is saying in the first part of chapter two. He says that showing favoritism or exhibiting prejudice based on how somebody looks because they're different from you, well, it's just wrong. And, and the Lord says as much in 1 Samuel 16, verse seven, he says, people judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now listen, we can't see people's hearts. Sometimes I wish we could. And other times I'm glad nobody can see mine. But what we can do is we can build relationships with people who are different from us. We can take steps to, to grow in, in dealing with the prejudices in our own lives. All of us have them. Can you imagine what would happen in this world if we really got a hold of this concept and we just began treating one another? If everybody in this world treated one another the way they wanted to be treated, how that would revolutionary, revolutionize and change everything about our culture. I mean, think about all of the division in our world today. Think about all the ways that media and social media and posts, all the ways that people divide us or try, seek to divide us. If we could put those aside and build relationships with one another and treat one another the way we want to be treated, the difference that that would make. I mean, just look at the tragedies that come out of the differences in our world. And it's been going on since time began. Judging one another based on our differences leads to tragic situations. James gives us a perfect example of the type of love that Jesus requires from his followers. He encourages us to remember two things, mercy and justice. And he says in the first part of verse 13, he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the heart of it, to love one another, to not judge one another, but to show mercy. The second issue that James talks about in chapter two is the issue of faith, or what he calls real faith. You know, some people claim to have faith and they seem really spiritual from the outside appearance. They, they might wear the, the right Christian t-shirt or they wear a WWJD bracelet or maybe have the fish sticker on their car. And all of that's great. But James would say that, that real faith doesn't come out in the things that you say, it comes out in the things that you do. In fact, you'll see in chapter two that James goes so far to say that faith without works is dead. That if you claim to follow Jesus, and if you claim to believe in him and have a relationship with him that's rooted in love, that you're gonna do something about it. You'll be compelled to serve other people, to care for people, to meet their needs, to give of your time, talents, resources, your money, the things that God has blessed you with. You look for ways to use those things out of love. Listen, we can have all the faith in the world, but if it's not accompanied by action, 
then it, it's meaningless. It's hypocrisy, James would say. In fact, if James were here today, he would say, you can talk the talk all you want, but you need to walk the walk. I mean, Christianity, this whole faith system that we have is based on the fact that God did something, right? That God the Father sent God the Son to this earth on a rescue mission to, to live a sinless life, to die a death on a cross. The cross that he carried on his back and he bled on it and he died on it. He was buried and he was raised again three days later. That's the good news, the gospel of Jesus. He did something. God is a God who does something. He made a way for us that we couldn't make for ourselves. This whole movement of Christianity, this whole system of faith that we have is based on the person and work of Jesus, the finished work of the cross. And in the same way, we as Christ followers, we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, should live out the faith that we claim to have. In, in verse 19, there's this, this statement that James makes that should be a wake-up call for all believers. He says, you believe that God is one, good. He says, even the demons do that and shudder. And I read that and I'm like, what? The demons believe the same thing that I believe. Well, what's the difference between us and demons? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's our actions. Because demons aren't gonna honor God with the way that they live. They're not seeking to do the will of God and to love other people and to meet needs of people. But we as followers of Jesus, that's exactly what we're called to do and what we should do. To pretend that you have a lot of faith while choosing to live without actions, it's just hypocrisy. James says plainly in verse 18 that a person cannot show their faith without doing works. James says our faith is shown by what we do in obedience to Jesus's command to love others. Real faith for real life is real faith that is alive and doing something. Just because you say you are something doesn't mean you are. I'll give you an example. I've always been fascinated by this TV show called Catfish. If you're not familiar with it, I'll just give you a brief introduction. It's on MTV and it's in about its eighth season. And the whole premise of the show is about people who are involved in an online relationship with, with each other. And they've never met face to face. And the catfish is one of the people in the relationship and they have created an online profile using other people's pictures and other people's identification and they say that they are something that they're not. And I don't mean like subtleties, like they claim to be blonde when they're actually brunette or they claim to be 10 or 15 pounds lighter than they actually are. I mean, the catfish will claim to be a 24 year old girl when it's actually a 58 year old man. Ultimately, as the shows play out, you see the storyline uh, walks us through their journey and, and it's revealed that who the catfish really is and what's gonna happen now that this revelation has been made. And that happens in our lives a lot of times when we claim to be a follower of Jesus, but we don't live it out. I, I, I would say, you know, you can't catfish Jesus. Your life has to model the things that you say you believe in. You say, Wes, who, who says that? Where do you get that? Well, I'll just tell you one of the scariest things that I've ever read in the Bible. Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do what my Father wants them to do. And Jesus says it's more than just words. James says it's more than just words. 
It's how we live our lives. Genuine faith in Jesus always results in obedience to Jesus' teachings. And it's my hope and it's my prayer that we would not sacrifice the faith of the next generation on the altar of our own disobedience. So as we wrap up today, I just want to give us a few questions to help us consider what James says. What are we going to do with what we've heard today? How and where are you showing favoritism in your life? I mean, where are you focused on the differences in the people around you? And then what are you going to do about that? Where are you not walking the walk? Where are you not living out the faith that you profess to have in Jesus? Where can you serve somebody? You know, all of us can do something. I know right now, especially when we're not meeting, it feels like there's nothing that we can do. But there's always something that we can do. We can pray for one another. We can uh, message one another, send encouraging notes to each other. There's always something that we can do because of the love that we have that comes from Jesus. So what does that look like in your life? And what are you going to do about it? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this great day that you've given us. God, I thank you for your little brother, James, who has... Uh, thousands of years ago was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down these words. And Lord, you've protected and preserved those words for thousands of years so that we would have them today to help us understand how to live, to help us understand that showing favoritism and making judgments of other people based on our differences is a sin. And it's not what you desire for us. It's not the type of love that you exhibited to us and teach us and call us to show to other people. Lord, I thank you for the example that James gives us of what real faith really looks like, to be your hands and feet, to meet the needs of those around us, to not just say that we follow you, but to actually live it out. And I pray that we would be a church focused on you, Jesus, focused on your heart, that we would care about the things that you care about, that we would do the things that you have called us to do, the things that you have prepared in advance for us to do, that we would be faithful in all of that. We look forward to what you're going to do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.